Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast, and I had the opportunity to talk to one of Hollywood's major icons, Michael B. Jordan. In our conversation, Michael shares the highs, the lows, and everything in between, offering a genuine glimpse into his world. The closest to getting what you want is always the hardest. People give up right before they get what they've always wanted to get. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is your space to explore mental health, personal development, and all of the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia. And I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there. I'm Stephanie J. Block. And I'm Mary Lee Fairbanks. And we host Stages Podcast. Binge close to 100 episodes. Hear the inside stories from backstage and behind the scenes as we go beyond the resume and into the heart of creativity and what it really takes to be in the business of show business. Don't miss our chats with the season's Tony nominees. If you love theater and entertainment, you are going to love Stages Podcast. Subscribe to Stages Podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts and visit us at stagespodcast.net. My whole life, I've been told this one story about my family, about how my great-great-grandmother was killed by the mafia back in Sicily. I was never sure if it was true, so I decided to find out. And even though my Uncle Jimmy told me I'd only be making the vendetta worse, I'm going to Sicily anyway. Come to Italy with me to solve this 100-year-old murder mystery. Listen to The Sicilian Inheritance on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I mean, some people would say I was Beyonce's muse while she was writing Lemonade. <laughs> I mean, I was Gutenberg's muse when he invented the printing press. <laughs> <laughs> it's so unusual that you've experienced something in pop culture that I haven't. And something like consistently you have told me is that I needed to watch Obsessed I, starring Beyonce Nils Carter. I have said it um, many times. In which Beyonce kills a woman who is trying to steal her husband um, with a chandelier. Mm-hmm. From a chandelier. From yes. a chandelier. And so, Fran, I finally watched Obsessed last night. Oh my god! And we're so going, excited. Yes, and we're going to talk about Obsessed and also maybe like some other psychosexual thrillers like... Yeah, like uh, Fatal Attraction, Basic Instinct. Basically, Gone like Girl. The invention of the um, psycho Harridan woman. Yeah, trope. exactly, exactly. Yeah. Uh, because this is Like a Virgin, where we give yesterday's pop culture today's takes. I'm Rose Damu. And I'm Fran Torado. And uh, by the end of this episode, I will have killed Fran with a chandelier. Well, I mean, that's kind of most episodes, yeah. to be honest. Um, because I'm what? The Phantom of the Opera. <laughs> Franny, what'd you do this weekend? So I saw our boys in Muna perform Silk Chiffon to the Staples Stadium, which is now known as the Crypto.com Stadium. But like, it was a stadium, which is the most important part. (laughs) The Crypto.com Stadium. That's amazing. (laughs) Yeah, it is. I was so happy to see that song performed to such a huge 
audience. Like, I'm so proud of Muna and everything they've done so far. And that song, as you know, we just like, love it so hard. It's Silk! Like, Chef on, and you were in the music video. Speaking of, so truly a full circle moment. (laughs) Yeah, and let me tell you, not speaking of vocal fry. (laughs) I hate you. (laughs) Have you seen Casey Musgraves in concert before? No, wouldn't care to, to be honest. Okay, so I may change your opinion on that. No, Um, you won't. <laughs> okay, love that. Love, love, love how malleable you you yeah. always are. This is not a, a this is not a friend. yes and day. This is a no but day. And I I accept that. I accept you where you are. Thank you. Um, Casey is she's a very chill performer. She's a chill girl. She's a stoner. She doesn't. So she, so it was boring. No, no, no. That's not what I'm trying to say. I'm but, saying that you wouldn't expect her to pull out all the stops for a stadium tour. Like you think not. she might just do it straight however she did pull out several stops um and i will also say casey's voice is perfection crystalline performed live she sounds exactly like the recording she is like such a master well i think her voice is very simple i don't mean simple as a dig i mean that she is very much like a country star in that she's not like wailing on her songs it's like a very heartfelt like clear tone it's very pure and so i would so imagine that, that 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 translates really well to live performance yeah it did As because I, she's I, not pulling in adina menzel <laughs> and doing something in the booth that she can't do on stage <laughs> exactly yeah yeah that's exactly a T. but she was amazing and so i had just have to describe a few moments for you first of all sure, hit me halfway through she goes oh yeah like we're gonna do kasioki and I have a list of four songs, and one of you can pick the song that we're going to do a karaoke to together, which I thought was so cute. And she pulls out this scroll, and it's like 9 to 5 by Dolly Parton, Killing Me Softly, No Scrubs, and Dreams by Fleetwood Mac, which is like an amazing group of songs. Which one would you have picked, by the way? Uh, If we're talking like a traditional karaoke scenario, I'm probably going with... No Scrubs. Okay, okay. Yeah. I would have picked No Scrubs or 9 to 5. I think everyone around me was like, 9 to 5, 9 to 5. If she you and a- I were doing karaoke together as a pair, we would do 9 to 5. We uh, Okay, that is T, for sure. She finds a girl in the front who, it's like her birthday. A person. And- you, can't, you can't assume this person's gender. <clears throat> I actually can. I, this was definitely <laughs> a cis woman. Because um, it was her birthday. And it was like, it felt like a, you know, a bachelorette party kind of vibe. And she's like, this girl is maybe like... Our bachelorettes. You don't know. It's a Casey Musgraves <laughs> right, concert. Of course. Right, right, right. Of course, of course. And so this girl's maybe like 16, 17. Okay. And Casey literally says to her, like, don't fuck this up. Like, this is, like you're picking the song that we all want to hear. It's a lot of pressure. It is, actually. The girl picks Killing Me Softly. Casey, who is definitely stoned has already talked about being on Xanax and did a shot of tequila on stage is like totally over the whole experience in a, in a good way, like a very like chill girl way. And she looks at the girl whose birthday it is. And she goes, I'm sorry, you picked wrong. And we're going to do nine to five. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's kind of Casey's fault for putting that on the list. Yeah, it it is actually her fault. And, and, and because she knew the song that she wanted to do. And, and it's iconic, though, to crush this girl's birthday dream. I know. I wonder if that girl went home and killed herself. <laughs> Casey, um, 
She did it on the right person. Um, no, don't kill yourself. You're so sexy. She threw this. She threw the scroll to her. So like, I think that was like her consolation prize. But Rose, there's a moment at the end of this concert where I thought of you. I, I wished I had gotten it on video. I, I I felt your energy so clearly at that moment. Okay, what read is this going to be? No, it's not. It's a compliment. Casey ended with Gracias a la Vida, which is like this kind of like activist folk song from You know Argentina, I love activism. I say. Well, this song is kind of a bummer, and it's also not a song that I really would have wanted her to do at our concert. And I was like, why is she doing this song? And toward the end of the song, the curtains open, and there's this big staircase that she kind of ascends, and there's like big lights behind her. It's this very anthemic, kind of fiery dramatic moment and she goes to the the top of the staircase and at the end of this song there's this really kind of spooky voice distortion that happens i kind of wish she did it more on that album to be honest but it's a very big note to end on and casey at the top of the staircase looks out to the audience belts the last note of this song and falls back perfectly and then disappears like in Black Fucking Swan. It was. I was just thinking Black Swan. It was literally exactly Black Swan. Did you and suck it was, his cock? It was, <laughs> it was such a gag. It was high drag. I was living. I, I, I literally could not have had more fun at this concert. And to be totally honest, I kind of had lower expectations because this album was not my favorite. Did, what did you think of the album, Starcrossed? Um, it was fine. Okay. You know, I, I enjoyed it. It like it grew on me with time, but it's not something I'm ever like, oh, I gotta listen to Starcrossed. Yeah, I feel the same way. I really like um Hookup Scene and There is a Light. I think those are stand-up, but like overall I felt like the whole album needed like a punch up on the production. And I thought I th- the I thought the um the film was also kind of not whack, but just, like, not enough. What the virgins don't know is we watched the first video from that film together. And we are like, oh, that was good. And then we watched Chloe Bailey's video for Mercy. And we were like, And we're like, lost oh, our minds. <laughs> <laughs> but I guess what I'm trying to get at is the album was extremely powerful to hear in person. Because so- Casey did still put so much emotion into it. And also I felt like her lyrics were really championed and her as a songwriter is always going to be strong, even if the production isn't always there. Um, But yeah, anyways, I had a ball. I wish you were there. That's so fun. You know, not much to talk about this week. I mean, like Drag Race was kind of fine. The Salt Lake City finale was kind of fine. I thought the, the Drag Race challenge was funny but then the twist of the soap opera being about farting, I don't like a fart joke. I What? I, no, I don't like a fart joke. Wow. Okay, nope. so you hate fun. I don't hate fun. I like smarter humor. No, I think <laughs> a fart joke is funny the first couple times. But when it goes on for that long, I guess by the end it did swing back around to being funny again. It did swing back around. I do forget sometimes that Rue has that sense of humor, though. Yeah, Rue Rue likes stuff that's very simple, like very bare bones, like fart slapstick humor. And 
I don't know. I felt like this is a moment where, like, Rue and whoever is writing this shit, like, really thrived. Like, I love the challenge. You think Rue wrote the script for the Delta Yeah, wind? yeah, yeah. Rue, Rue in his office, just with his, <laughs> with his quill and his inkwell. Um, yeah, I um, am sure you were extremely mad that no one was eliminated. I think that it's a little bit of a comment. I was, but, but it, I'm hoping that means next week there will be a quadruple elimination. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, I feel like it, maybe when it comes down to the math, it, it was always supposed to happen this way. Like, there was always supposed to be an episode where no one was eliminated. Yeah, of course. Because there's so many episodes now for these seasons. Um, I feel like it was deserved. I thought everyone killed that runway, shockingly. I thought that everyone did had a passing grade on the sketch itself. Um, but, like, when it comes down to, like, I don't know, like, overall performance, like, I mean, Camden's runway where she fell and revealed that she was, it was She tore. She that, tore. To, I, completely unexpected. But, like, I, why was she kicking so often? Was that a Freddie Mercury thing? Did he kick a lot? I mean, he's he was kind of leggy. Or is that maybe, like, her only move? Yeah. I will say the Real Housewives of Salt Lake finale was totally underwhelming. I can't believe that season is still on. Well, yeah, it's, it's it felt like this season has been like a thousand years. Um, but the most important takeaway from the experience of watching the Real Housewives finale, Rose, is that the Choo Choo Trainers, we are eaten because in a commercial for the Real Housewives of Salt Lake finale. We have now learned that Megan Trainer is hosting a Peacock original of a kid's version of Top Chef called Top Chef Family Style. I thought so. you were going to say something like Megan Trainer <laughs> was hosting the reunion a la Nikki <laughs> hosting Potomac or like Megan Trainer was joining the Housewives of Salt Lake City, which like I actually would believe that would totally watch. I, I mean, would her- believe that like she has a house there and that that's the point her career is at. Can you imagine how underwhelming it would be to watch her host a reunion? Yeah, literally. Any I franchise? don't know that I've ever actually heard her speak. So <laughs> I, I, she probably sounds like Julia Fox. So in the finale, in the, like the previous, they showed that Jenny is still at the reunion, which I didn't realize. I thought that she, she was, was the gonna, one who got fired, right? She was the one that got fired. And then Mary also left. And I mean, Jen is literally going to be in jail by the time that the next season is filmed, which means we're, le- we're losing three housewives from this franchise, I think. Maybe we should just lose the franchise. Um, you wouldn't say that if you actually watched it. It is, it is definitely a top-tier franchise, if not my favorite right now. Like, I think I even enjoyed it more than I enjoyed this last season of Beverly Hills. That's sacrilege. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in L.A. I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, a military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. 
you just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable, so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I used to have so many men. How this beguiling woman in her 50s... She looked like a million bucks. ...with zero qualifications... She had a Harvard plaque. ...tricks her way past a wall of lawyers and agents. She's got all of these Maseratis and Bentleys all in the driveway. Is it like a mansion? Yes, it's a mansion. ...that this queen of the con uses to scam some of the biggest names in professional sports out of untold fortunes. About $6 million. Approximately $11 million. Nearly $10 million was all gone. Employing whatever means necessary to bleed her victims dry. She would probably have sex with one of her clients. Hide your money in your old rich man, because <laughs> she is on the prowl. Listen to Queen of the Con, Season 5, The Athlete Whisperer, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart's Outspoken Network for a year, and what a year it has been. Every weekday, I navigate our rapidly changing world alongside our series of fabulous expert guests. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Woke not just to the latest headlines, but also to the collective power we all have. Woke to the need to build community with those around us. Woke to how to avoid burnout and woke to the ways we can all find joy in the madness. Make Woke AF Daily with Danielle Moody your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. And tune in to hear the ways I am working to stay grounded amidst it all. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Elliot Connie, and this is Family Therapy. My best hopes, I guess, identify the life that I want and, and work towards it. I never seen a man take care of my mother the way she needed to be taken care of. I get the impression that you don't feel like you've done everything right as a father. Is that true? That's true. And I'm not offended by that. Thank you for, for going through those things and thank you for overcoming them. Wow. Uh, thank God for the limits. Every time I have like one of our sessions, our sessions be positive. It just keeps me going. I feel like my focus is redirected in a, in a different aspect of my life now. So, how'd we do today? We did good. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy. Listen now on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Beyonce, Beyonce, are you happy to be in Paris? It is so rare that there is something in pop culture that you have experienced that I never have. Yeah, actually, this so, is a nice little turning of the tables. Yes, um... I, for years, people have been telling me that I needed to watch Obsessed, and I don't know why I never did. And I'm honestly shocked that I didn't see it when it came out, because 2009, like, 
what you know what was I doing yeah what were you doing I was graduating high school I was doing a lot of drugs actually <laughs> so, <laughs> so that that actually makes a lot of sense it was I if I remember correctly like a box office hit it is I think um it's the only film it's the only feature film that uh Parkwood Productions which is Beyonce's production company um produced other than Cadillac Records and Black is King, which isn't yeah. A Beyonce film. Beyonce Knowles is listed as an executive producer. Which well, I noticed when I watched the movie last night. Yes, today we are talking about Obsessed, the 2009 film starring Beyonce, Idris Elba, Ali Larder, and we'll get into you know the thick of it. Maybe a slightly broader conversation about this trope of the murderous scorned woman, uh, a trope that Rose Damu did in fact invent and coin herself. Well, if, like me, you've never seen the film film Obsessed, um, here's a quick recap. Beyonce is married to Idris Elba. Um, her name, her. Uh, in, a, in, a, in a turn that made me feel absolutely psychotic, her character's name is Sharon, which is just not realistic. It's not at all. For someone who looks like Beyonce. No. There's... To be named... Sharon. It would just, it simply would, would never happen. There, there's no. so many things in I this kept film. waiting for a twist that, yeah. like, she had a secret identity. Yeah, if, if, <laughs> if there was a supernatural twist, I could suspend my belief. But I draw the line at someone who looks like Beyonce named Sharon. So Beyonce is married to Idris Elba. She actually used to be his assistant at his law firm. And they have since fallen in love, gotten married, had a child. A child who will mm. become important <laughs> to the plot later. Child. Um, and Idris... Um, is, you know, working in the city, and he there's a new temp at his office, played by Ali Larder. It's always of, of heroes and legally blonde fame. And for, at the time, Ali was, I had never heard of her before, but she was kind of everywhere around she was She was definitely moving and shaking around this time because of, because specifically heroes. Got it. Um, because heroes was, like, such a big cultural moment. Mm-hmm. So, Ali Larder starts temping at Idris's law firm and becomes obsessed with him (laughs) and starts like manufacturing run-ins between the two of them and increasingly like you see Idris be like oh this is kind of weird should I say something to my wife and then he doesn't because he thinks saying something will just like make it into something it's not Mm. until eventually it comes ahead at the company Christmas party where Ali Larder like throws it back at him (laughs) in in the the restroom. If you can't see me, but I'm like, (laughs) it's kind of a movement. It's like gazelle, like kind of like white girl dance that's happening. And so now Idris knows that Ali Larder wants him, but he like, again, weirdly, like doesn't, I, this was one thing that was so confusing to me was that like, he had many chances to say like, Go to HR or be like, hey, this woman is, like, harassing me. Like, she's a temp. Get rid of her. Yeah. And so, Ali Larder, it becomes clear, like, has manufactured this relationship between the two of them and does crazy things. Like, she shows up in his car with only underwear on. Mm. She leaves the company to be with him. Mm -hmm. Um, Because, like, they can't have a relationship if... It's yeah. at work or whatever. And then she shows up at his business trip, drugs him, and... <laughs> I forgot that Drugs him and sexually him. assaults him. Um, oh, I forgot about that. And then when he, like, really, like, tells her, like, you're crazy, this isn't happening, she ODs in his bed and is taken to the hospital where, like, a detective starts an investigation beyond... Well, Sharon finds out about it. Um, and they all, like, kind of quickly go from, like, what... 
like, what did he do to this girl? Like, you know, taking it as the way it looks to, like, oh, I guess she is actually crazy. Mm -hmm. Because Allie Larder, like, after getting out of the hospital and, like, going with her sister, um, comes to their house one night after Beyonce has forgiven Idris Elba. And they think that she has stolen Beyonce's child because Mm -hmm. the child is missing. And then it turns out she, like, put him in a car. So then it all comes to a head when... Allie Larder shows up at the house, and Beyonce has forgotten to put in the security code, which... Come on, girl. Sharon. Actually, this morning, coming into the studio, the security alarm went off, and (laughs) I found myself thinking, like, if only this had happened in Beyonce's home. Of course. Um, So, Beyonce and Allie Larder have a fight to the death. Which is, like, the set piece of the film, Yes, and which I I discovered last night upon doing some research. It took them a week to film it. No Mm -hmm. way. And then Beyonce gets... Allie Larder in the end, Sharon wins, and Allie Larder dies. And then Beyonce and Idris Elba, like, hug and make up at the end, where, okay. There's never so, really a so, moment So where... that is that is the plot of the movie, essentially. My, let me, let me say this. Uh-huh. I was obsessed. I think it's the best movie ever made. Okay, I love amazing. It. <laughs> I was gonna ask, because obviously, you and I had the exact same first impression, which was... Why is her name Sharon? But Why is your, her name Sharon? But your second impression was, like, what was the second was, takeaway? This is incredible. I, I loved it. I had so much fun watching it. Mm-hmm. But I was also very confused mm-hmm. because I wasn't confused by anything that happened. I was confused by, like, the way people reacted to things. And I understand that mm-hmm. these things needed to happen for the plot of this film. But, like, if you take that away, it makes no sense that Idris Elba wasn't like, um, this woman is, like, harassing me. She yeah. needs to go. Um and you do, like, he, even if he didn't cheat with this woman, he had so many options so to, like, many. do the right thing, tell the truth, be like, this is crazy, um, you need to stop this, tell his wife what was going on. And so, and by the end of the movie, even though they have survived and this woman hasn't gotten what she wanted, which, like, she didn't get Idris Elba or, you know, the the baby Sharon has come out on top, like... How does Beyonce go back to him at the end? Because he has created a situation in which she had to kill a woman in her own home (laughs) and be scarred by that forever. Yeah. So, like, how do you, like... Are there no ramifications to your relationship? How do you go back to, like, getting Froyo with that person? Like, what? Yeah. I I don't think that... If there was an obsessed two, I think it would be about... Their divorce. Okay, so you're you're. I'm picking up on some of the things you're reacting to, and I think that it should be said that this movie did pretty good in the box office, but it was a critical flop, obviously. And a lot of things. No. That, yeah, I know. Yeah, exactly. And a lot Shocking. of things that people were talking about were just what you're naming. Is that the kind of emotional and relational stakes of these three characters are a bit off, and because it is, you know, so such a kind of carbon copy of movies we've seen before. They were like, well, this is like a lower stakes, moralistic kind of version of well, those y- films. Yeah, I think like some of the criticism and and the the little bit of research I did is that at the time people were like, this is bad because we don't understand why these people are doing the things that they're doing. Like they never explain why Ali Larder is so obsessed with Idris no. Elba, other than like he's hot, yeah. I guess. Because they I never think- have sex. They you never know, even if, kiss, if, question mark? Yeah, if this was... No, they don't. They well, don't. she... Well, I mean, she assaults him. Right, right, right. I mean, 
if this was like a Hitchcock film, which like there is some kind of like Hitchcockian thing going mm-hmm, on here, mm-hmm. you know, we would find out Ali Larder's tragic backstory where she had exactly. been like assaulted as a child or something. Mm-hmm. That's a very tropey thing with these movies. Like mm-hmm. you find out why the crazy woman is crazy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and in this, there's no explanation of it. And something else to me that stuck out was that Idris is never really tempted. Like, his... No. Like I mean, he, besides, like, he's he lo- never he looks, into Ali Larder. He looks at her legs, you yeah. know, when they first meet. Yeah. Like, he, he notices that she's hot. Like, he thinks she's hot enough to to lie to his wife about it. Because exactly. Beyonce asks him, like, is she is your new assistant attractive? And he's like, no, she's ugly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I think that that, it's like, it, 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 it kind of renders Idris to be, or it renders all three of them to be, like, very uncomplicated characters. Like, I think the, the film, and I think, honestly, because it was done by Parkwood Productions and because Beyonce was maybe over this, it would make sense to me that these characters would kind of champion fidelity instead of like trying to right. nuance our challenge. Well, because Idris even says once he and Beyonce have reconciled and like they go to dinner on his birthday, he asks her if she wants a divorce and she says, we don't get divorces in my family. Exactly. And that, oh my God, that is such an, like a, a kind of Which, microcosm. Why? It's a microcosm <laughs> yeah. of, to be honest, Beyonce culture. Like mm. Beyonce is a, like we all saw Lemonade. We all yeah, watched. There is a direct line from yeah. Obsessed to Lemonade. We've seen the live performance of Resentment in the wedding dress. Okay, we know that fidelity is something that Beyonce champions in kind of a almost old school way. Yeah, I mean, it, well, it seems kind of faith-based. Yeah, and obviously it has to do with, like, blackness. It has to do with, like, ways you grow up religious. Um, but, like, it, it has, I think to me, it makes total sense that Idris would never not once cheat. You know what I mean? Yeah. But it also makes it kind of boring. Like, yeah. it makes him boring. It makes the movie a little boring. Well, there's also this, like, missed opportunity. And, like, I'm not saying that race should have played a bigger part in this film. But, like, when Ali Larder is, like, using the fact that she could get him in trouble mm-hmm. by the way that things look, you know, to manipulate him, like it goes kind of unsaid this dynamic between them that he is a black man and she is a white woman yeah. and it's like it's like they're thrumming under the surface it and is. you're and you're waiting for the movie to dig into it a little yeah. and it it just never does and it feels kind of like i i mean yes on the one hand like it's cool that we're that in 2009 we had a movie like this where like their race wasn't a huge part of it but it also feels kind of weird and like defanged that it's like never even addressed yeah and obviously this is a conversation for a podcast that isn't ours but like this was before Beyonce was like talking about her race you know what I mean but I think that what you're touching on is like the fact that like a lot of people were coming taking away from this being like there were like missed opportunities in how this relationship especially between Ali and Idris was like racialized but I felt like um the, the, a lot, as you're saying, thrumming under the surface, it really was kind of there because there's a very kind of like scary victimy white girl moment where she kind of like victimizes herself to like protect all the lying and assaulting that she's been doing. And then I think there's even a moment where like Beyonce is like, get your skinny ass over here or something like that. Like there's there's components of like race and like this like really weird power dynamic between the three of them that creeps through. But yeah, I agree. They're, they're completely unexplored. Yeah. It doesn't, it like does not lean far enough into being a psychosexual thriller in the vein of something like a fatal attraction or a, 
basic instinct. Right. Also, Beyonce's just not in the movie enough. Like, no, she's she's not. A, she's essentially a supporting character, and, and I guess that makes sense because I'm sure she did like two weeks on this yeah. tops. <laughs> yeah, 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 um, yeah. And that's probably why she was attracted to it. But I could have used more Sharon, even though Sharon is a crazy name for Beyonce to have in this. Um, even though we're leading with kind of the negative things about it, obviously the thing that no one can forget is like this kind of final death match between Sharon and Allie. Where's Idris and all of it again? He's, he's like driving somewhere. He's at work. Right. Because they're they're about to go on a trip and Beyonce is leaving the day before him. Right, okay. And okay. she leaves the house, forgets to set the alarm and goes back to set it and Allie Larder is there. And Beyonce has left her a message on her phone previously saying like, you know who this is. Yeah. I, you know, I'm going to beat your ass. <laughs> oh, I forgot um, about that. And then, oh, and then when, she shows up the, when she shows up at the house, she's like, I see you didn't get my message. Yes. That Beyonce leaving that phone message is the best scene. I mean, scene. no, Beyonce has some amazing lines. Like amazing. When, when she kicks Idris out and he's like, where am I supposed to go? And she says, to hell. <laughs> but until then, I suggest the Four Seasons. <laughs> like, that incredible. Incredible. Oh or when she says, get out of my house. She screams at Idris, get out of my house. Yeah, it's so good. Yeah. And she, her, Beyonce is someone who understands line delivery. She has comedic timing. I, I think it's like, I mean, if you don't know, like Beyonce was nominated for several Razzies, I think, for this film. Like, um, the, the film was like widely made fun of. I wonder um, how many Oscar nominees are also Razzie nominees. Oh, I do know that um, they did win an MTV Music Intersectionality. Award. Intersectionality. <laughs> Yeah, that intersection. So in 2022, intersectionality means you have an MTV a Music Award, but you lost a Razzie mm. and failed to get the nom for an Oscar. Um, but yeah, I'm sad that like, I mean, first of all, the Razzies are like kind of a, an abhorrent thing. Yeah, sometimes I mean, who and even was so widely misogynistic? And also, we have to say like this, like w- when. People say this was a critical flop. Like a lot of this is around like Rotten Tomatoes culture and like. It's less true now, but at the time, Rotten Tomatoes is, like, 98%, like, white guys. You know what I mean? Yeah, and also, like, this that's not how this movie is remembered. It's a cult classic. Also, exactly. something that people forget about this, I, I think, because I haven't really seen anyone talk about it, is that it's a Christmas movie. No. It's, yeah, like, <laughs> wait, wait, it, it is a Christmas movie because kind of oh, the— yeah, there's inc- a Christmas party. Yeah, that's, like, the inciting incident between Idris and Ali Larder. Oh, my God, I forgot about that. Wait, so why are we it's, doing it in it's February? Kinda, it's kind of be... like the first third of the movie takes place during Christmas. No way. Yeah. Wow. Honestly, um, missed opportunity for a um, Destiny's Child, Eight Days of Christmas needle drop. Um, but... Well, uh, well, you know, the music in the movie does slap. There, it's really? a very good soundtrack. There's um, a really good Sam Sparrow song that plays, mm. American Boy by Estelle, which mm. we love. Also, um, so Idris has... A gay assistant, mm-hmm. and it's like telegraphed very early on that he's gay. And Beyonce <laughs> has like laid down a decree that he's not allowed to have female assistants because the last time he did, it was her, and they wound up married. Okay, if I ever had a husband, I think I would kind of want my husband to have a hot assistant because it would make me very competitive. Would but would you want him to have a hot assistant if you had already been that hot assistant? I mean, because you know that this person is predisposed <laughs> to like. 
think it's okay to fuck their assistant. I mean, yeah, because it would, you know, give me the opportunity to, I don't know, drop a chandelier on them or something. <laughs> I'm gonna swing from the <laughs> chandelier. <laughs> yeah, that's actually, Beyonce was saying. She 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 asked, requested that that music be played and, you know, they um, make it happen. In the early stages of this cat and mouse game between Ali Larder and Idris Elba, like, they do become friendly because right. of the way that she, the ways in which she manipulates him, mm-hmm. which is like by staging this like, you know, breakdown in mm-hmm. the break room at work where she's crying about a guy and he like comforts her, mm-hmm. and then they start IMing. Oh, you're not <laughs> and, IMing. And her screen name is Temp Girl, <laughs> which Wait. I, which definitely to me is like a spiritual sister to Carrie Bradshaw's screen name, which is Shoe Gal. Shoe Gal. Also, Temp Girl sounds like a, a separate movie that I would watch. Yeah, it's like um, when me, I'm a temporary girl because I transitioned and then I will eventually detransition. <laughs> Wait, what was your screen name? Have we talked about this already? Ha- I think we have, but my like original AIM screen name for a while was... Well, I thought when I, I when when I made it, I thought it was I am psycho because I was like a goth, <laughs> but I spelt it wrong, and so it was actually I am Fizco. I am. <laughs> I just choked on my own spit. Um, mine, I mine like misgendered me. Mine was Fran Man One Seven Three. Fran Man. Oh my god! And then, uh, of course, it became later became Fran Squishko and but, Leah but um, Idris's gay assistant. Like, there's a moment where he calls the gay assistant and Ali Larder in to talk to him, and he's like, "All right, ladies, let's go." <laughs> no, he doesn't. Yeah, he does. No, he doesn't. And then Ali Larder at one point calls the gay assistant, "You silly old queen." <laughs> wait, wait, I. I Wait a second. We need a whole other movie about this gay assistant because that is, to me, well, that's the gay assistant. The gay assistant also like gives Ali Larder a lot it's... of the information she needs to, um, to trick Idris Elba. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in L.A. I'm here to tell you about the new podcast. I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, a military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable, so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart's Outspoken Network for a year, and what a year it has been. Every weekday, I navigate our rapidly changing world alongside our series of fabulous expert guests. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. 
Woke not just to the latest headlines, but also to the collective power we all have. Woke to the need to build community with those around us. Woke to how to avoid burnout and woke to the ways we can all find joy in the madness. Make Woke AF Daily with Danielle Moody your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. And tune in to hear the ways I am working to stay grounded amidst it all. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I used to have so many men. How this beguiling woman in her 50s. She looked like a million bucks. With zero qualifications. She had a Harvard plaque. Tricks her way past a wall of lawyers and agents. She's got all of these Maseratis and Bentleys all in the driveway. Is it like a mansion? Yes, it's a mansion. That this queen of the con uses to scam some of the biggest names in professional sports out of untold fortunes about six million approximately 11 million dollars nearly 10 million dollars was all gone employing whatever means necessary to bleed her victims dry she would probably have sex with one of her clients hide your money in your old rich man because <laughs> she is on the prowl listen to queen of the con season five the athlete whisperer on the iHeartRadio app apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts I'm Elliot Connie, and this is Family Therapy. My best hopes, I guess, identify the life that I want and, and work towards it. i never seen a man take care of my mother the way she needed to be taken care of. I get the impression that you don't feel like you've done everything right as a father. Is that true? That's true, and I'm not offended by that. Thank you for, for going through those things, and thank you for overcoming them. Wow. Thank God for the limits. Every time I have like one of our sessions, our sessions be positive. It just keeps me going. I feel like my focus is redirected in a, in a different aspect of my life now. So, how'd we do today? We did good. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy. Listen now on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The most pressing question I had when watching this movie is, has Beyonce ever celebrated Ali Larder's birthday on Beyonce.com? Absolutely not. No way. I'm sure that they got Beyonce. along great. Beyonce.com, Ali Larter. Beyonce has a very small class of christened white women that she wishes a happy birthday to. It's Reese Witherspoon. It's, I don't know, Adele, maybe. I'm hoping that one year soon, Beyonce will do a birthday post for Ali Larter. Oh, I thought you were going to say for you. <laughs> like, no, you're not gonna... for me. I don't think that... That, that's never going to happen. Oh, um, Ali Larder sends Idris Elba a bunch of sexy photos at one point, and oh, in no. them she's wearing a fedora. Not the fedora. A this, fedora. Look, this is 2009. I mean, uh, Jason Mraz was very prevalent during this time. His impact, his fedora impact. Did you ever own a fedora? Girl, Jason Mraz was not only one of my favorite music artists, but I did own several fedoras. Have you ever seen Jason Mraz live? Uh, I, yeah, I did own a fedora I, at one point. Did you really? Yeah. There's no shame. You know, we we are, you know, it's a consequence there of There is definitely social- shame. <laughs> 
There is absolutely shame. I used to have a huge crush on Jason Mraz. Um, I also Bicon, a, bisexual king. He to me looks, you know, like frail lettuce to me. Um, and to answer your question, I've never seen him in concert, but I have seen, you know, his female, female, um, woman counterpart, Ingrid Michaelson, in concert. I, it was the first concert I ever went to alone. One thing about this movie is that the phrase sexual harassment is only uttered once. Oh, and like, I'm surprised it's even and, once. And that's really, like, I also thought that was interesting. Like, in the same way that, like, the racial element is never acknowledged, mm-hmm. like, the sexual politics of this aren't really acknowledged. Yeah. Which I guess, like, it's a very pre-two movie. Yeah, it is very <laughs> pre-two. And, like, you know, I don't know if, like talking about sexual harassment would necessarily make the movie more interesting. But, but if it's just, was, it's like weird that it's like exactly. only ever acknowledged once kind of in passing. Right. And if it was made in this day and age, it would definitely be, even if it wasn't explicitly mentioned, it would be the conversation in the yeah. film. It yeah. also like, the movie is just crazy in that it is so completely a male fantasy. Mm-hmm. Like, because this doesn't happen. Okay. I'm sure, yes, I'm sure there are women who harass men, who, like, are predatory. But systematically, like, within the patriarchy, this does not happen. And this instead actually, like, maybe you can look at this movie as, like, this is what men tell themselves happens Mm. when they are actually harassing and assaulting women. Say that. Oh, my God. Like, this is how they rationalize it to themselves. It's like, she was crazy. She was coming on to me. There was nothing going on between us. She no, roofied me. It was yeah, a psychological my, my wife killed her with a chandelier. Thank God. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay, so speaking of male fantasy, I watched Fatal Attraction last night. Ooh, I've never seen it. Okay, very excited for you to watch it. I won't, you know, uh, maybe talk about it in crucial detail, but when that film came out, and obviously these two, like, thinking about Obsessed and Fatal Attraction, they're all within this, like, same genre of a male imagination of a scorned, dangerous, like, woman. Like, yeah. a woman who is so unhinged and so in love with a man that she is now, like, murderous. It's interesting to see how that kind of movie has evolved into things like Gone Girl, mm-hmm. where, like, that trope of the crazy woman has now become like we're now looking at the woman's point of view where like these movies like even though we remember about obsessed that it's like about Beyonce and Ali Larder like really the movie Idris Elba is the protagonist yeah technically almost the entire movie is from his point of view but it still feels like Beyonce's movie kind of even though I guess Ali maybe no she's really sidelined and like even Ali Larder is and like you don't understand their motivations. Like, you really only understand, like, the interiority of why Idris Elba is making the decisions he's making. Mm. And so, like, now I see, a like, a direct line from that on, like, the way that culture has changed to things like Gone Girl, mm-hmm. where you are understanding these women who, in movies like this, like we don't know why they're making the choices they're making and they're just written off as crazy women. And now we're seeing women make bad decisions and like be the villains, but like we're getting the psychology of why they're doing it. Exactly. It's kind of like, um, 
Okay, I want to get to Gone Girl, or honestly, even like something like Ingrid Goes West, like or like something uh, which I've also never seen. Uh, w- okay, we'll talk about it. But like, I I feel like it's worth a- a diving a little bit into Fatal Attraction because yeah. when you know Obsessed came out, is that the one where Glenn like, Close she gets shot in a bathtub at the end? Oh, uh, spoiler alert! Well, I've seen, if you've seen Bridget Jones's Diary, you know what happens in Fatal Attraction. Oh, does does she watch it in Bridget? Yeah, she Jones? watches it at the beginning. That's very on the nose. Um, I didn't realize that. Okay, so um, yes, she does die in a bathtub in the end. The, the premise, loosely, is, you know, a wealthy guy, he has a perfect kid, a perfect wife, similar to Obsessed. He decides to do what men do. He cheats on his wife. The inciting incident is that he does cheat, and he has this kind of weekend affair with Glenn Close, who is, I think, a temp at his publishing house. So what mm. is it with temps? I want to watch a movie about psychosexual temps, honestly. Which temps, if you're listening, <laughs> yeah. please let us know if you have ever, um, you know, been... Uh, killed by a chandelier. What if we did? What if there was a modern day adaptation? Or shot in a bathtub. We should do a modern day adaptation of The Tempest, but it's um it, it's like about a, temps. a workplace drama. Yeah, yeah, about temps. Um, anyways, the um, temp yeah. EST because it's on Easter time. Right, right. So uh, after Michael Douglas has an affair with Glenn Close, um, it's quick. It, it's kind of very quickly revealed that she has basically like borderline personality disorder. Is Michael Douglas hot in Fatal Attraction? He's not my type. He he looks a, a little too see. much like a like a like a sack of flour to me. But I do think that he was a, a very compelling kind of anchor for the film. Um, and I think I want to get into the conversation of performances because the balance of performances in these two films is so different. But it's a it's a very specific kind of look. It's not really doing it's, it, it's doing spe- it for me. Me either. So um, basically, Glenn Close gets pregnant. She says, "I'm going to have this baby." And he's like, you can't do that. Like, my wife doesn't know about this. I have a whole life outside of you. Like, we can't do this together. And, of course, she, like, stalks and harasses him until um, he and his wife work together to kill her. Um, Literally. I wish it was. I know. Isn't that so sweet? So romantic. Um, But it's what's amazing about this, about that kind of comparing these two is, like, when I said, oh, it's like Beyonce's film. You're right. She was really sidelined in it. But in Fatal Attraction, it's Glenn Close's movie. And let me tell you... But d- does it spend time with her? You know, it it does. It does spend... I think it spends more time with Glenn than it does with someone like Beyonce. Obviously, they're different roles. Beyonce is the one being cheated on. Glenn is the other woman. So she Glenn is kind of the alley larder. But, Beyonce, but Glenn is just like, to me, out of all six of these kind of actors, like, completed the picture and did the most, like, Acting. Well, she's Glenn Close. And what she did was also, like, cinematic May she invention. one day finally win an Oscar. She, exactly. I know. Well, that's so funny. She lost the Oscar. This was the movie that they thought. She was already three Oscar noms in by the time this movie came out. And she lost this one to share. Can you believe? And this was the one that oh, they thought she was going to. It's, it's the one she should have won because she was brilliant. But I have to, like, you know, say that, like, um, yeah, to answer your question, she is not, like, as... Maybe she's, like, a little peripheral, but it doesn't matter because she just sucks the air out of every scene. And let but, me t- do, but does it – does the movie do the work to make you understand her side of the story? Only a little bit. Obviously, no. The way the movie is written is still Michael Douglas slash Idris Elba is the protagonist. Mm. He is the center of the film. It's all about his moral center and, like, his kind of thing. The reason – Fatal Attraction is ultimately a better movie, despite being so abhorrently misogynist, is the fact that, like, 
he, the complexity of him cheating on his wife is really in the film. And like, he, he, there are ramifications to it. His wife gets really mad. Like they kind of like sort through a really weird kind of like psychosexual, like um, conversation around what to do about the baby, what to do about cheating, whatever. And instead of going to couples therapy, they yeah. just team up to kill the mistress. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And But despite the fact that Michael Douglas is an amazing actor, um, the wife whose name escapes me is an amazing actress. And even the child actor, let me tell you, an aggressively non-binary child in this in this um, film is an amazing child actor. Like, so, so good in this film. Uh, despite all of them being amazing actors, like, the only person anyone was talking about after this you know, after 30 years later is Glenn Close. Yeah. And she invented this trope. Um, but something that I have to say that was very surprising is that, did you notice there's kind of a almost like twilighty filter over everything? It's like really like weird, like white light, like the cinema, the cinema is like not really there. You know, it's not something you pay attention to in the film. I think you're mistaking a lack of, like, a filmmaking choice with the very distinct filmmaking choice that happens in Twilight. Yeah, okay, may- okay, yeah, yeah, sure, 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 sure. Um, yeah, don't conflate those things. Yeah, of course, I would never, I would never. Um, I know, I'm, the, we do not slander Twilight on course. this podcast. No, 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 would never, would never. Something that really surprised me about Fatal Attraction is that it was gorgeous like every frame is so beautiful um and every costume is so beautiful there's a a scene it's kind of mirroring the scene when ali larder is in his car in underwear she shows up uh, in his to his office wearing nothing but this huge black trench coat with like shoulder pads up to her ears like she looks so amazing and like there's another her her apartment is so chic it's like all white brick and she has like vintage exercise bike and like there's a scene where she's like sitting and eating like chinese takeout it's like every frame is like so gorge and her hair is like the like it was during like a perm era, kind of, because I think so it was the like 80s. The, the late, yeah, exactly, the late 80s. And that to me, like her hair did so much work on top of what she was doing acting wise. And I think the reason I wanted to talk about it is because the casting of Ali Larder feels like they tried to find someone who what could be villainous, but also feel like basic in like her own kind of whiteness. Mm, and yeah. so. When they went to cast Fatal Attraction, Glenn Close was, like, their last pick. They went through so many different actresses, and Glenn Close was chasing them. Third, this is third, three nominations in, Glenn Close is chasing these casting directors, being like, I like this role, I want to do this film. Um, And she had to basically, like, show up to an audition. Glenn Close had to audition in, like, a little black dress, and she showed up with the perm. And the casting directors, having never seen the perm before, were like, Glenn is it. She can do sex appeal. And the sex scenes in the movie are really good, by the way. You'll, mm. you know, you'll watch it. I mean, the 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 Ali Larder, I liked what you said about, like, being villainous but kind of basic. Mm-hmm. Because that very much was the the trope of her at the time. Because, mm-hmm. like, think about Legally Blonde. She's this, like, sorority girl who's in prison because they think she murdered her husband. Mm. And then on Heroes... Did you ever watch Heroes? No, I didn't. She was a stripper who had a split personality, mm. and her split personality had super strength and would, like, black out and then wake up and find out that her, like, alter ego had killed a bunch of people. Hmm. Um, so that very much, like, is the kind of role that she was known for playing. Like, this kind of, like, basic-looking, pretty blonde girl who actually was 
you know, a psycho killer. Yeah. And the thing, I think maybe one of the reasons that the casting directors were averse to Glenn Close is because there's nothing basic about her face. She's very distinct. She gives a prestige vibe. You know what I mean? Maybe they felt like she was too complex for the role. But um, what Glenn Close, you know, said at the time and also has talked about 30 years later is that she was really attracted to the complexity of this character that they rendered really flat and really misogynistically in the end um, in a way that Glenn Close was actually against, which I want to talk about. Remember when we saw Glenn Close? Oh my god! Wait, we were We were at the after party for the prom on Broadway. Oh, I forgot about that. we were sitting at a table eating. We have to say that it was like Ryan Murphy's party and every... Ryan Murphy muse was there. Yes. Um, like and Billy Porter, all of the Pose girls, mm-hmm. like... And Glenn Close, who was standing right behind our table talking to Sandra Bernhard. So like, the, the the gayest thing ever. And we were chatting, and I, 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 I'm talking to Rose, and I say, Rose, behind you, like, four or five feet behind you. Not even. Like, yeah, maybe less. Glenn Close was talking to Sandra Bernhard, and you were like... Oh my God. And you were like, take a picture, take a picture of me. And we were those girls. We yeah, we did. were. But Glenn Close is the moment. And um, this, I think, is like, maybe we can get into like the kind of wider conversation of like what this kind of woman means in a film and how this exact archetype is still so prevalent in every single year we will get a movie with a character like this. You know what I mean? Like, but now we root for them. Like when you exactly. watch Gone Girl... And you want Amazing Amy to succeed. And, like, she does, ultimately. And and you know what's funny? is like, when I watched Fatal Attraction, I kind of thought, like, ooh, I bet everyone involved didn't realize, like, how dated this would become, blah, blah, blah. But when I read about it, so, Glenn, the original ending of Fatal Attraction um, has Glenn Close slitting her own throat and framing Michael Douglas for Mm. it, which is so good. And that's why Glenn agreed to do the film. They filmed this ending, tested it. All audiences hated it because they wanted to kill Glenn Close so bad. Like, they wanted her to be murdered. And so they were like, we can't do this. We have to reshoot the film. And Glenn Close fought the directors and the entire team for two whole weeks, being like, I will not do that ending. This is the ending that is sympathetic to my character. It's a complete betrayal to the character that I've created to have her be pick up a knife. Like, she wouldn't come at a knife with them. She would kill herself, Mm. which I think is so beautiful and so sympathetic. She was so ahead of her time in that regard. And also, it's so funny that you say it took them one week to film the obsessed fight scene because I just learned that it took three weeks, I think, to film the fatal attraction fight scene at the end, which is also very good. Is Um, it between Glenn and Michael Douglas? Yes, it's between Glenn and Michael Douglas, which is another reason why I think Obsessed... I think it's one of the wins of Obsessed is I think the fight between the two women is more interesting. Absolutely. And like, also watching Michael Douglas beat up a woman is kind <laughs> of hard. It's kind of wild to watch. Like yeah. the, the film is, would almost earn it if it wasn't so imbued in, you know, this completely untouched conversation of mental health that is in Obsessed, that is in Fatal Attraction. But like, it's not really like, you know, besides Idris Elba calling her crazy, there's not any attempt to look at why this woman is doing these things. I mean, yeah, there's you know, no motivation. Yeah. And also like the violence between the two women is like kind of a sign of, of like maybe some kind of progression from fatal attraction mm. because there are so many moments in the film where like 
Idris, like, you see kind of, like, the restraint of violence of him, like, you know, he'll, like, shake Ali Larder, but he's not going to hit her. Oh, right. Again, it's, like, the mo- that obsessed is really, it stays closer to its, like, moral center in that regard. Yeah, because it can't make him outright yeah. a villain, even though I still think he is. Like, yeah. obviously, like, of course. Ali Larder is a villain, but, like, when you have someone acting in ways that are that evil, but, like, you don't understand why they're doing them, it becomes, like, a caricature of villainy, and it, it's just, like, so kind of, like, ridiculously evil. Yeah, it's evil. not interesting. Um, and so I think, I think the most evil person in the movie is Idris Elba, hmm. because he did this to Beyonce by not being honest with her about what was going on or going to human resources and being like, hey, this temp is sexually harassing me. Like, you need to get her out of here. Okay, so this is like a segue into, guess, I how, like, we consume these movies now because when I watched Obsessed, I remember thinking kind of the same thing, being like, this is Idris's fault. And the movie maybe wants you to kind of want to kill Ali Larder. When I watched Fatal Attraction, obviously, what Michael Douglas is does is so much more abhorrent than what Idris does. He openly cheats many, many times, lies a ton. Glenn Close is constantly calling her, his home phone and, like, hanging up and stuff. So he moves his entire family upstate without telling them that the reason why, which is wild. And so, anyways, when I was watching the film... I was like, obviously, Michael Douglas is, like, the worst person here. But the film wants you to think that Glenn Close is the worst person here. But in the conversation of Gone Girl and movies like it, the movie is saying that Rosamund Pike is the girl you're rooting for, kind of. Or the the anti-hero, so to speak. Yeah, she's still the villain, but it wants you to understand why she's making the choices she's making and the power of her making herself the victim Mm. and turning her husband into the villain, um, into, like, the weird guy smiling on TV when his wife has gone missing. Mm. Um, And, you know, like, it sets the people who would normally in these stories be the heroes, like, you know, the husband, like the man who rescues her, mm. Neil Patrick Harris. Oh, I forgot about that. Oh, into, my God. Into the villains. Some because, of like, NPH's best work, TBH. I think so, too. And I I very much enjoyed watching him get his throat <laughs> slit. <laughs> yeah, honestly. I, You know what's so funny is um, now I'm thinking about the husband archetype and how Fatal Attraction and Gone Girl, like, the husband, this guy is really this kind of sympathetic... But ultimately, a snivelly kind of maybe loser, where Idris is kind of something of a Prince Charming, you know what I mean? Which, again, makes him less, you know, interesting. Um, But I actually haven't seen Gone Girl in, like, a minute. Yeah, because I would like a moment in Obsessed of you thinking Idris might have sex with Ali Larder. Yeah, but that's the other thing is, like, this man who is smart enough to, like, not cheat, but he's not smart enough to tell his wife. Like, it, it just didn't make sense no that he wouldn't communicate. No one's decisions in the movie make sense, except for Beyonce. Yeah, except and, for Beyonce. And even then, I'm like, why is she deciding to take this woman on herself? Yeah. Because, like, when she goes back to the house, like, she gets inside and understands Ali Larder is there and goes to confront her. And that's why they have this death match. It feels to me like something of a, 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 a mama bear um, stakes, because Beyonce well, yeah, because, and the mom Because Ali Larder has touched her child. Exactly.
This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in L.A. I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, a military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable, so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, hi, I'm Rachel Zoe, and I'm back for another season of my podcast, Climbing in Heels. You might know me from the Rachel Zoe Project or perhaps from my work as a celebrity stylist. And guess what? I'm still just as fully obsessed with all things fashion, beauty, and business. My podcast, Climbing in Heels, is all about celebrating the stories of extraordinary women, and this season, we're taking things up a notch. I'll be talking to some incredible women across so many industries, from models and beauty industry stars to doctors, entrepreneurs, and TV personalities. Climbing in Heels is here to bring you a weekly dose of glamour, inspiration, and fun. Every week, listeners will be able to ask me any questions. I'm answering it all. My life is absolutely crazy with so much going on, and I'm so beyond excited to bring you along for the ride. Whether we're talking red carpet looks, current trends, or products I'm obsessed with, I'm here to be your fashion fairy godmother. Listen to Climbing in Heels every Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart's Outspoken Network for a year, and what a year it has been. Every weekday, I navigate our rapidly changing world alongside our series of fabulous expert guests. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Woke not just to the latest headlines, but also to the collective power we all have. Woke to the need to build community with those around us. Woke to how to avoid burnout and woke to the ways we can all find joy in the madness. Make Woke AF Daily with Danielle Moody your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. And tune in to hear the ways I am working to stay grounded amidst it all. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I used to have so many men. How this beguiling woman in her 50s. She looked like a million bucks. With zero qualifications. She had a Harvard plaque. Tricks her way past a wall of lawyers and agents. She's got all of these Maseratis and Bentleys all in the driveway. Is it like a mansion? Yes, it's a mansion. That this queen of the con uses to scam some of the biggest names in professional sports out of untold fortunes. About six million. Approximately eleven million dollars. Nearly ten million dollars was all gone. Employing whatever means necessary to bleed her victims dry. 
she would probably have sex with one of her clients. Hide your money in your old rich man, because <laughs> she is on the prowl. Listen to Queen of the Con, Season 5, The Athlete Whisperer, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. A reboot is being made of Fatal Attraction. It was like canceled multiple times, but apparently Lizzie Kaplan is going to be, when I love Lizzie Kaplan. I, I also love Lizzie Kaplan. But my question to you is, you know, in the idea of reboots, not that we're a huge fan of reboots in general, if we were to do a kind of scorned murderous woman movie now, what would that, what do you think that would look like? Hmm. You are a scorned murderous woman, Rose. If you had to kill a man, what would you do? Rose, you okay? The virgins can't see, but Rose kind of has like a a, a, a facial expression that's like, mm. "What do you mean if?" <laughs> yeah. Um. I guess like I need to think about where we are culturally and like how we would update it for today. Hmm. What if it was like a um ugly Betty esque like magazine kind of thing? Because well, I can't remember what Idris does. He's a lawyer. He's a lawyer. Okay. In Fatal Attractions, Publishing House. Okay. So this girl. Some sort of office So the, thing. the girl in this movie um, is a podcaster. Who can now? Does she run a podcast with a, a non-binary uh, Mexican? Uh, yeah. She's, no, she has a, she's on a podcast with like a couple other, you know, she's a millennial. Okay. She's a millennial podcaster and she meets this guy on Tinder. Mm-hmm. And they start hooking up, and she finds out that he is in a relationship with a man. <gasps> he's bisexual. Okay, love. Um, he's bisexual, but, like, he, he says he's gay <gasps> because he is has, like, internalized biphobia. Right. He doesn't really even probably understand his own desire. And, like, he's in an open relationship. Oh. And so he, like, could have sex, but it's, like, his own self-hatred that keeps him from being honest about the fact that he is having sex with and, like, maybe falling in love with this woman. Mm, and so mm, she mm. is, like, gaslit into thinking that, you know, he's cheating on her. She doesn't even know he's married to a man. She thinks he's married to a woman. Oh, my God. And then she finds out he's married to a man, and she's like, you're gay? And he's like, he's like, yeah. I don't know. I'm figuring no, Yeah, he's like, I don't know. And that, But then he has kind of a come-to-Jesus moment where he, like, reckons with his own bisexuality. Oh. And he's like, okay, so, like, this has let me accept that I am bisexual, but I think, like, bearing in mind everything that's gone on, like, we should just, like, yeah. you know, we're, let, we're not going to be together anymore. Right at the midpoint of the film, he watches season eight of Are You the One? And he's like, I finally understand my own attraction. Sure. Um, okay, so wait. If if um the the kind of... If we're trying to root for the woman in this, the other woman, quote unquote, in this scenario, but she always dies in the film, in this like modern remake, would she die or who who dies and how? So she kills the husband okay. of the guy. Love. Because she thinks that he has like tricked her man into being gay. Because mm. um, she's like, you're not bisexual. Bisexuality isn't real. <laughs> So, like, the biphobia transfers from him to her. Oh, yeah. The film is ultimately about biphobia. <laughs> yeah. And she goes she goes on a rampage. Um, she kills the husband. Mm. She kills, um, I don't know, like, her doorman oh. in her building or oh, something. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, and then the, they ultimately have a showdown at an abandoned gay bar. Yeah. Uh, that oh, I was love. shut down because of gentrification. 
um, and it's where he used to cruise. Ugh. And she has she injects herself with testosterone because she's like, if you can only love a man, I'm going to. I'm going to transition. And he's like, no, it's not that I don't love you because you're not a man. I'm bisexual. I don't love you because you're a psycho and you killed my husband. And she's like, "That no. And so she overdoses on testosterone. And right as she dies, the police come in and, like, she has made it look like this man killed her. You – that – okay, I think the virgins at home would think that is so far-fetched. But actually thinking about – the, these movies in the 80s and also this, like, early aughts movie, like, that is so something that would happen. You know what I mean? Like, that is a kind of level of absurdity that would happen in this day and age um, if they wanted to, like, render this character completely um Wow, unhinged. I think that's a great idea for a movie. So Honestly, if anyone out there is listening, if you wanna if you, if you wanna make it, I will write a treatment. Listen, oh my god, also your talk of bisexuality reminded me that um I was reading that um another reason that people were so like engaged in like psychosexual thrillers in the 80s cuz like there was just a, a, i guess an onslaught of them i think basic instinct was around that time yeah. um a few like, others like maybe early 90s okay um but apparently they were kind of capitalizing off of um fear of like aids because like infidelity mm-hmm. like a fear of infidelity kind of brought aids into the conversation meaning like if you cheat on me you could give me aids isn't that crazy? Yeah, but it's also interesting that it, like it's only kind of refracted through the lens of straight culture. Yeah. Um, but there also were a bunch of um, you know, like these kind of sexual thrillers about trans women. Mm. Um, like there's one called I think it's Dressed to Kill. Mm. Um, yeah, it's a 1980 film, so like maybe mm. a little early for the for the AIDS epidemic. Oh, I remember. But this. it's um, it's in in it. Michael Caine plays a, a cross dressing murderer. I remember this, and remember so this. like, and that's also in kind of Silence of the Lambs. Silence of the Lambs, it's yes, in, um, a few others. Um, and yeah, it's it's just very interesting, like that we have yet to have a queer version of what this dynamic is because I think so much of the drama in these movies hinges on like the trope of the hysterical woman Mm -hmm. and like that can only be applied to her being in love with a man. Although Mm. I guess basic instinct subverts that because I believe Sharon Stone's character in it is bisexual. Mm. Oh, really? Oh my gosh, I have to watch Basic Instinct. Phoebe was... Producer Phoebe was Sharon Stone in Basic Instinct for Halloween. <laughs> That's incredible. But a... when my thriller gets made, which, what's it going to be called? Dressed to Kill. That's probably already That's a movie already, title. The, I, That's the movie I was just talking is it, is about. It re- <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it could be a reboot. No, it has to be something, like, there has to be some kind of bisexual thing. Oh, um... Well, obviously the, the 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 key art of the film is going to be like red and blue and they meet in the middle to in the middle to create a kind of purple tone. So, oh, so it bisexual. looks like the bisexual flag. Yeah. Um it's going to be called like it's um, going to be called Atomic Blonde. It's going to be called like Greedy or something. Greedy. Because you know that's the thing about bisexual people Ooh, is we're good. greedy. That's we're too greedy. Good, that's very good. Okay, okay. Um how do I... glutton for punishment. <laughs> that's what we'll call it. Glutton for punishment. I think um you know, it's funny that... Oh, no. Oh, and the girl, by the way, the whole thing that happens at the end where she, like, does the testosterone and frames him for her murder, it's all being broadcast live on her podcast. 
oh, that is a good final twist mm-hmm. is that everyone knows. Yep. You know, we're being kind of funny, but I, I, I'm, I am genuinely interested in a Gone Girl-like movie that kind of um, inhabits the perspective of the kind of quote-unquote other woman. I think that when I first started to – when I went into – a movie like Fatal Attraction, I was kind of prepared to hate it and prepared to um, really find it to be problematic or and or dated. But I thought it was an exceptional film that had like one fatal flaw of like not really kind of rooting or complicating the woman. Glenn Close filled in so many blanks in the script to kind of render a more complex kind of anti-hero um even though it's not framed that way in the film and so i think that nowadays like i would love to see any iteration of this kind of like woman who has kind of had it you know what i mean yeah and, and i guess and i guess that's why obsessed like ultimately isn't a very good movie yeah, even though it's an amazing movie is because like it's not really concerned with making these real people no. it's only concerned in like building building a story that leads to Beyonce killing a woman with <laughs> yeah. the chandelier. Which is worth it. Which from absolutely. the chandelier I'm, from I'm the chandelier. going to swing from the chandelier from the chandelier. Exactly, exactly. Well, my one request is if anyone wants to commission us to write this film, which we would. Um, Glutton for punishment. We will have to do a referential image of, you know, this lead wearing the leather trench coat with tower high shoulder pads. And a curly perm. Oh, and also, one thing I forgot is that at the end, when Allie Larder dies, so, like, Beyonce has tricked her into falling through the floor in their attic, and then she's, like, hanging on, and Beyonce's like, okay, I'm gonna, I don't want you to actually die, so, like, take my hand, I'll save you, and Allie Larder takes her arm, and then tries to pull her down with her to kill them both. (laughs) It's, like, it's, uh, it's, like, like I said, it's, like, a caricature of evil. Um, yeah, but, but it's Beyonce- so it's so fun, and they both sell it so well. Yeah, I wonder also. And Beyonce's wearing heels throughout this whole thing. She is. Yeah, I forgot about that. She's wearing heels. Oh my god, that is iconic. And um, I, I I did see I did read that Beyonce had never done like fight choreo before, but yeah. because of her dance background, like she came to it very naturally. Oh, I had no idea. Well, she yeah, it makes complete sense. She's such she can perform literally anything. Um, I. Want to also, just so that, you know, there's no erasure on this podcast, we have to say that Obsessed belongs to, you know, um, eons of people dying by chandelier. Among them, you know, Phantom of the Opera. Phantom of the Opera. Well, no one, no one dies but because it's, of uh, chandelier. But intent, it's intent to murder. Yeah. Um, to mayhem. Stardust? Does it happen in Stardust? There is a moment with the chandelier, but no... Oh, Harry Potter. There's a chandelier thing. Yeah, someone just drops a chandelier on someone. I'm gonna. Oh no, actually, no. Michelle Michelle Pfeiffer does die because of the chandelier in Stardust. That's an excellent movie, by the way. And like Michelle Pfeiffer, yeah, I love Stardust. Has Michelle Pfeiffer been in one of these movies? You know what's so funny is because she seems like the type. The second Glenn Close walked on screen, I immediately saw Michelle Pfeiffer in Batman because she has the same. Yeah, I mean, I think actually. Michelle Pfeiffer's plot line in Batman, like at least the Christopher Walken part of her Catwoman journey, like right. does feel kind of lifted from one of these kinds of movies. It definitely does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, well meow. <laughs> meow.
We'll be back next week with a discussion on anime with J.P. Brammer. We're going to talk so about excited. Pokemon, Sailor Moon, and Neon Genesis Evangelion. All of those things. In the meantime, you can catch up on a few of those shows, or also you can uh, let us know what you thought about this week's episode on Twitter or Instagram. Show us your favorite frame of Fatal Attraction. Tell us uh, what was your favorite line from Obsessed. Um, how would you and why rewrite- is it <laughs> to hell? But until then, I suggest the Four Seasons. <laughs> You can tell us what to talk about next, whether it's a show, a book, a cultural phenomenon. We want to hear from you. Call to confess at 323-PENANCE. That's 323-736-2623. You can leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. You can leave us a rating on Spotify. I'm your co-host, Fran Torado. You can find me at Fran Squish Co. wherever on social media and Substack as well. And I'm Rose Domu. You can find me on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at Rose Domu. You can subscribe to Like a Virgin anywhere you listen. Like a Virgin is an iHeartRadio production. Our producer is Phoebe Unter, the one and only, with support from Lindsay Hoffman, Julian Weller, Jess Grainchich, and Nikki Etor. Until next week, see you later, virgins. I'm gonna swing <laughs> from the chandelier, from the chandelier. Yeah, so canceled now. We, we can't do this. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is your space to explore mental health, personal development, and all of the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia, and I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast, and I had the opportunity to talk to one of Hollywood's major icons, Michael B. Jordan. In our conversation, Michael shares the highs, the lows, and everything in between, offering a genuine glimpse into his world. The closest to getting what you want is always the hardest. People give up right before they get what they've always wanted to get. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Stephanie J. Block. And I'm Mary Lee Fairbanks. And we host Stages Podcast. Binge close to 100 episodes. Hear the inside stories from backstage and behind the scenes as we go beyond the resume and into the heart of creativity and what it really takes to be in the business of show business. Don't miss our chats with this season's Tony nominees. If you love theater and entertainment, you are going to love Stages Podcast. Subscribe to Stages Podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts and visit us at stagespodcast.net. Every family has an origin story, one passed down through the generations. Mine happens to be a mystery involving my great-great-grandmother left behind in Sicily. I'm Joe Piazza, and my new podcast, will transport you to the gorgeous island of Sicily as I trace my roots back through a whodunit for the ages. Listen to The Sicilian Inheritance on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.